everybody. We're back. It's Christmas break. Ty, how do you feel? So broken. I'm just... <laughs> it's Christmas break? No, I feel uh, excited. Holidays are always fun. I think I said this. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, but Christmas <laughs> is a we close need to third place. Go through that again. <laughs> Adjudicate that nonsense. Actually, Thanksgiving's great. I don't mean to bash Thanksgiving. I just try to argue with you as much as possible. He's Ty, I'm Taylor. It's episode four, Natural Selection. I should say we're going to put it out an episode today, Christmas Eve, and then we'll be off next week so everybody can go celebrate New Year's, and then we'll be back January 7th with our fifth episode, but more on that later. This week, we got a lot to get to for our Monsters, Inc. episode. Do you remember this one, Ty? Uh, vaguely. I think Sully has like a ton of hairs and Mike... Very specific amount of hairs. Mike might become like a sex offender or something. I can't quite remember. (laughs) It gets close. It's an interesting one. And it came out right after 9-11. So this is like one of those rare podcasts where we get to talk about kids movies and 9-11 in the same hour, which is always interesting, I guess. (laughs) It's an interesting movie. I, I think not the... Best of the best, but definitely not the worst of the worst. Yeah, this was a movie that I didn't have strong feelings either way. So watching it again, I really understood it a lot better. I think that's kind of a theme for me is not understanding movies, but... (laughs) Or anything. Yeah, or really life. But if you guys, you know, don't have a lot of interaction or have a ton of interaction, I think you're going to enjoy our conversation. We go all over the place in this one. Yeah, and this movie definitely features, well... Arguably features the cutest Pixar character. Maybe we can vote on that later as we make it to the end. But there's definitely some highs in here. Some great 2001 style memes. And by 2001, I mean the year, not 2001 A Space Odyssey. That happens a little more in Wally. Eva. So we'll get to all that. But first, we need to talk about Pop-Tarts. Oh boy. Here's our new running segment. I just need people to know that I'm right about Pop-Tarts. They're dangerous and no one should eat them. I guess I'm slightly adjusting my take. No one should toast them. Here's the headline. Dateline. Ellisville, Missouri. Two people rescued from house fire started by toasting Pop-Tarts. Bill and Peggy Cruz of Ellisville, Missouri nearly lost their lives December 9th when toasting a Pop-Tart went horribly wrong. I don't, I don't hear any problems with that. And it sounds like they just don't know how their toaster works. There's a video of this, Ty. There's security footage of this nice couple's house. And the toaster lit on fire and basically burned out their whole kitchen. All because people think toasting Pop-Tarts is a good idea. Nice couple. They could be murderers for all we know, Taylor. (laughs) I'm just trying to be nice because I'm using them to make a point about Pop-Tarts. And I feel kind of bad about it. So bear with me. They are perfectly nice to me. Stop toasting your Pop-Tarts, people. Pop-Tarts are coming back. They're becoming mainstream. They're in Bird Box, which is apparently the new Netflix movie to watch right now. I watched it. What? (laughs) That was the most 2018 sentence I've ever heard. (laughs) Pop-Tarts are in Bird Box, the new Netflix movie. Are they a character? What do you mean? I I don't want to spoil it, but Sandra Bullock makes Pop-Tarts great again. Surely without toasting them, if I know anything. I do also want to say that I, I don't think I told you about this. I got in a huge argument 
about you've got a friend this week with the exact wrong person. My friend mm. Annie is a is is becoming a masters of music, and she told me it was a good song, and I said no, <laughs> <laughs> and I had words thrown at me that I've never even heard before, such as composition, decrescendo. Naturally, I was like, what kind of good song would have the lyrics? When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your old pal said, boy, you've got a friend in me. Or something as (laughs) specific and memorable as, you got troubles, I've got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and see it through, because you've got a friend in me. (laughs) I can't handle this song. But here, I was told it starts off with a cute chromatic clarinet solo okay and the main theme is like baby's intro to syncopation this is like you talking about pop tarts and bird boxes i don't know what it means (laughs) basically i just couldn't win the argument because she said i'm about to be a master of music and it's a good song and i said all right i lose (laughs) i don't know what to say Well, it's like when I tell you how to do English good, and you're like, nah, man, I'm a journalist, you know? (laughs) You just don't know how to English good. I just don't know how to music good. The other thing I wanted to mention, which is really small, but I noticed as I was listening to us on last week's Toy Story 2 episode, is Al's Toy Barn, the license plate, like in the episode, I think we were like, yeah, it says L-Z-T-B-R-N. What could that possibly mean? Or something like that. And like as we as I heard us saying it, I was like, that's obviously Al's toy barn. <laughs> but like, I don't know, I thought it sounded very dumb and I wanted to to just point out how dumb we are. In case people didn't figure it out already. I've known that for years about me. Alright, Ty, let's listen to our dumb selves talk about Monsters Inc. All for right, a little while. Let's do it. And then we'll be back to say goodbye. <laughs> Hit it, boys. Okay. All we have to do is get rid of that thing, so wait here while I get its card key. But she can't stay here. This is the men's room. That is the weirdest thing you have ever said. It's fine. It's okay. Look, it loves it here. It's dancing with joy. (laughs) I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have you. I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have. I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have. I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have. (laughs) Leave it in. No, that probably won't be in. Welcome to the show. We're back. Hello, hello, hello. Monsters are real and they scare kids for a living. So lock your doors and close your windows because your kids are in Danger, unless Mike and Sully can change the world in a new film from the year 2001, Monsters, Inc. <laughs> That's what we're here to talk about today. I'm Taylor Gaines. With me on the other line, Mr. Bile, is it? Uh, my friends call me Flem. Tyler Flem Commons, my co-host. How are you doing, Ty? Uh, I'm good. I'm really good. Long day of work today, but I'm excited to get going on this. Uh, I got to watch a movie I haven't watched, so... And we're recording on the worst day of the week, Mondays. I kind of like Mondays, if 
it's because it's the second day of work for me because I do Sunday through Thursday. So uh, I don't know. Yes. Call me strange. Call me Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. <laughs> Dr. strange. <laughs> I like that we both went for that terrible joke at the same time. That's why we're friends because we make terrible jokes to each other. We like bad comedy. <laughs> you said this was the first time you've seen Monsters Inc. No, I'm first time in a very long time because this wasn't one that I watched frequently. Like this might be the second time I've ever watched it all the way through and not just, you know, bits and pieces where other children were watching it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a whole new experience for me. Yeah. It wasn't an entirely new experience for me, but I don't think I've seen it a million times. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I just... So I, I watched a different movie last night for the second time. I watched Shutter Island. <laughs> and at the beginning... Sorry, Ty started laughing off camera for some reason. I couldn't figure out why. At the beginning where Leonardo DiCaprio is sitting on the boat and he takes a cigarette... And he goes, it's a mental institution for the criminally insane. It's like the worst <laughs> delivered line I've ever seen. I just thought about it again. <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> Apropos of nothing. We were talking about the second time we'd seen a movie. And that was oh. the second time I'd seen Shutter Island. So <laughs> it was a lapse. There was some train of thought there, but I was, well, I just having a relapse it, it took time. you long enough that it was confusing for everyone involved <laughs> that's totally fine but yeah i th- I, uh, I thought i had seen this movie maybe more times than i have but i've definitely probably seen it at least five or six times in my lifetime first time mm-hmm. i've watched it in years for this project here but it's definitely got a lot going on it's got furry monsters one-eyed monsters things that Probably would have been memes if it wasn't 2001. It's little scary kids, or, or uh, little cute kids, did I already say that? I probably did. Oh, I don't know. I guess that's just the only, that's like the thing they beat you over the head with is the cute little kid. Boo. Um, who? Boo. Her? Yeah. Egg? <laughs> Boo was excessively cute. I feel like they nailed it in this movie as far as creating <laughs> a character that like wants you to feel one emotion and you felt one emotion. What if I told you, Ty, that Boo started off as a 30-year-old man? I would be shocked and want to hear more. Well, let me tell you, Boo started off as a 30-year-old man. (laughs) How? Why? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Well, so as we get into our history of Pixar segment, as I don't like to call it because I haven't come up with a clever name for it, this movie came out November 2nd, 2001, which is a weird date to look at two months after 9-11 i guess so yeah i don't know if that affected anything about the movie but anyway the original story that they came up with and for the record this was the first time pixar was ever working on multiple projects at the same time uh after the release of toy story 2 as ed catmull says in our go-to novelization it's not really a novel as (laughs) as he says in creativity inc quote we were not a little startup anymore So they had Pete Docter working on this movie, Andrew Stanton working on Finding Nemo, and Brad Bird working on Incredibles. And this was the first movie not directed by Hollywood hashtag Me Too guy John Lasseter. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad we don't have to even really talk about him this episode. But as Pete Docter started working on the story, 
The original idea was revolving around Ty, a 30-year-old man who was coping with a cast of frightening characters that only he could see. Or as I call it, Monday. <laughs> as, as he described it, the man is an accountant or something and he hates his job and one day his mom gives him a book with some drawings in it that he did when he was a kid. He doesn't think anything of it, puts it on a shelf, and that night monsters show up. Nobody else can see them. He thinks he's starting to go crazy. They follow him to his job and on his dates. And it turns out these monsters are all the fears that he never dealt with as a kid. He becomes friends with them eventually. And as he conquers his fears, they slowly begin to disappear. (laughs) How would you have felt about that movie, Ty? (laughs) A kid's movie about a 30-year-old man (laughs) who's being followed around by monsters. I think the concept is too old for being a kid's movie. But I actually think that's a great concept for a movie. You know, it could be like one of those Sundance Film Festival winners of 12 categories that no one knows. And and the thing it has in common, they mention this in the book, with the story they wind up with is all of the stories they cycled through were all about this idea of having to make a bittersweet goodbye once you solve a problem. The way Pete Docter described it was you suffer through it as you struggle to solve it, but by the end you've developed a sort of fondness for it and you miss it when it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely something that stuck around. We can talk about whether it works in the final product. But the other ideas they cycled through were much smaller. At first, the human protagonist was a six-year-old named Mary. Then she was changed to a little boy. Then back to a six-year-old girl. Then they turned her seven, which I don't really know what the difference is. Uh, <laughs> named her Boo and made her bossy and domineering and Obviously, like, six- and seven-year-olds all know words. So, eventually, they turned her into a fearless, pre-verbal toddler. And, in keeping with the original name Mary, Boo's real name is Mary, which you can see in her room at the end. On one of the, uh, on one of the pieces of artwork on the wall? Yeah, I believe she signs one of them. Mm. Uh, another huge thing that is integral to the movie that was not... in integrated until a full year into the working on the story was the character mike wow what would this movie have been like without billy crystal i probably fine i mean (laughs) i'm but without mike i don't know what would have happened you know it's it's oh true because there really is you know like the friendship of him and mike i think is secretly the most interesting part of the movie like i think they sell it as a story about Sully and his fondness for Boo, but I I think mm-hmm. the Mike Sully stuff is really the most interesting stuff. Yeah, when they get in their argument with the abominable snowman and you know, it looks like his, there's his, there was his like the pea snow cones the down moment. Yeah, with his not pea snow cones. Yeah, lemon. sure. Sure. And then he's like, Oh, I need to go outside and make more snow cones. I don't I don't believe him is nope. my point. Not for a second. A couple other fun facts about this movie, and the last few of these are from IMDb Trivia, so take them with possibly a grain of salt. I hope they're true. I'm sure they came Hmm. from somewhere. Uh, Apparently, they simply followed Mary Gibbs around, who was the five-year-old who voiced Boo, because they couldn't get her to stand still in a recording booth, so they just let her play with toys and followed her around with microphones. It took 11 to 12 hours to render a single frame of Sully because of his 2,320,413 individually animated hair strands. See, that one I believe is true, because who would give that specific of a number? (laughs) Yeah, that one is over the top. Uh, This was... We'll talk about the money later, but this was the highest grossed animated film 
to date at the time, according to IMDb. Uh, and by the way, you mentioned Billy Crystal. Apparently, uh, he was originally offered the role of Buzz in Toy Story. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say I think he. Uh, this is a good movie and all, but I think he made the wrong choice. He might have made the wrong choice, but I think Pixar made the right choice because him is Buzz Lightyear. He doesn't have a heroic sounding voice. He definitely has like the the squeaker voice. <laughs> so Mike is. I honestly much thought this was. Fit. I thought it was Gilbert Gottfried for like half the movie, and then I realized that it was actually Billy Crystal. Oh wow. This movie was nominated for Best Original Score at the Oscars, Best Sound Editing, and Best Animated Feature. It also was nominated and won the award for Best Original Song. Wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have you. Oh, a couple interesting like Pixar notes, big picture. One of Ed Catmull talks a lot about the workplace culture that they've tried to create in this book creativity inc and he, he, he says the lesson they learned from this movie was experimentation has to be seen as necessary and productive not as a frustrating waste of time so that people will enjoy their work even if it's confounding them people have to know failure is a healthy part of the process how does how, how does how does how does how does that sound ty it sounds really smart i don't sometimes when you read these like business books and management books i just sit here and think do people actually need to learn this is this not like inherently known information you know it it, it makes me think about life though where yeah a lot of times the lessons you learn are very simple and you've been told them a million times but for some reason it takes a long time for them to click you know like oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah like think of think of high school where it's like Everyone everywhere is always telling every kid, just be yourself. All you have to do is be yourself. And the thing they don't tell you is that no high schooler knows how to be themselves. So, like, <laughs> you don't actually learn what that phrase means until, like, 10 years later. And you're like, oh, I can finally learn how to be myself now. <laughs> like, I wonder oh. if it's like that, where it's like the advice is useless until you've experienced a similar project or feeling or failure. Yeah, I mean, it takes that moment to click. So if you want your employees to be happy, let them let them grow and learn and experience. Don't, like, put them in a box. Don't hide them behind the door and just jump out to scare them. Let them laugh a little bit. Bring power to the city. Ty, you said you weren't going to bring your personal work stuff onto the podcast anymore. I know. I've not done that yet. Get your ready, boss, though. Your boss still hasn't moved your desk out of that tiny box behind the door? No, I had to cut a uh, skylight in the roof the other day, but now it rains because I didn't tell anybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> My papers always get wet. <laughs> are, we ready, are we ready to jump into this movie? I don't know how to transition from that. Well, I, I have one more thing I wanted to mention. Uh, okay. Speaking of your... <laughs> problems at work <laughs> um uh, go on there there was a particular work problem that was noticed during the making of this movie that ed catmull and co vowed never to repeat they called it the beautifully shaded penny problem Ooh, sounds redundant what do you what do you think that is the beautifully shaded penny problem they they worked really hard to make a penny look good, but a penny's still just worth one cent. So why not focus on the dimes and quarters? I actually like your interpretation of it better 
because you actually incorporated the fact that it's a penny, which maybe is part of it. But the way it was explained is when they first arrive in the apartment and Boo knocks over all of Mike's CDs and he yells out, oh, they were alphabetized or whatever. Apparently, they went to the trouble of creating full CD covers for each CD in that stack and also a shader for each CD in that stack. And a shader is a program that calculates how an object's rendering changes as it moves. So they basically created full CD covers and animated all of them falling all the way, whatever angle possible, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, they found this to be unnecessary and a waste of time and decided to start imposing more limits uh, rather than try to be perfect with everything because... And I think this is a really good lesson for art and content in general is that limits force us to rethink how we are working and push us to new heights of creativity. So limits force you to think outside of the box you're forced into and how to bring that outside inside, inside out? Yeah. Was this the first mention of inside out? I don't know if that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. But Pete Doctor, the director of Monsters, Inc., was the director of Inside Out. I heard a great interview with him, and that is where I'll end it, but it was fantastic. <laughs> 10 out of 10, would recommend. I believe it was with Terry Gross. Probably. All great interviews are with Terry Gross. Or the podcast On the Island. Have you ever heard that one? I've heard that one. It has a pretty good host, and then just kind of like an average co-host guy. <laughs> kind of reminds me of this podcast. Just a little bit. <laughs> let's get into it, though. Let's Let's talk about... Monsters, Inc., but before we do, November 2nd, 2001, where were you? I was living overseas at that time. Oh, so you had completed your move from the last episode, Mm -hmm. and you have moved all the way overseas to the horrible, woody-stealing land of Japan. The horrible museum-owning... I don't like the phrase Woody stealing. Can I take that back? <laughs> no. You got to stick with your guns. Yeah, I was over in Japan and I was 11 years old because my birthday had happened two months previously. Two months prior. September 11th. Yeah, mine was three days after that. Um, Damn, that sucks. And weirdly, I mean, <laughs> that must I can have been your worst birthday. Not that your well, birthday was what any of us were worried about at the time, but... No, but I will say this. And this is kind of through secondhand experience from my parents. I didn't really understand 9-11 in the way most Americans understand 9-11. I remember waking up and seeing, you know, video of the towers falling, but it didn't really change my life because I was in a foreign country and I'd not been a New York resident and I didn't have any family in New York. So it was kind of just like, oh, life is different over there. But I didn't experience that. And when I came back, people were still talking about it because I got back in 2002. It was odd to not be a part of this giant thing that has shaped the country I live in. So, yeah, it was it was weird. I'm sure you at least have felt the effects when you came back, right? I'm sure I did. But at so I left when I was 10 and got back when I was 12. So it's not like I was focused on anything outside of myself. So I just had this little picture of me and then I got back and it was just me in a different place. I didn't, Yeah. I wasn't at school when they, you know, locked the classrooms and turned the TV yeah, on I, and I people mean, were scared. Where could this happen? You know, what could happen? It, that was not anything going through my head. That was not a fear 
Um, yeah, processing events is, is is weird when you're that young too. Because I think I must have been I just turned eight. I'm, my birthday is also in September, and well, actually, I had in that case I had not yet turned eight. I was about to turn eight, and I was in school. I for some reason I can't remember what grade. I'm sure I could figure it out if I did the math, but I don't feel like it. And they actually didn't tell us what was happening at school at all, and mm. uh, they kind of pretended like it was a normal day and then i think it might have been a half day or my mom came and picked me up early or something and she was like uh something happened you got it we got to go home and in my memory i don't remember her telling me i just remember going home and watching the tv and like kind of just being terrified because i was like eight and it was just like two planes crashing into buildings but nobody probably wants to hear 9-11 stories uh, I was still I was still in Texas at the time. I th- I think I was still in Abilene. Maybe we had moved to San Antonio by that point. But I don't remember an initial reaction with this movie or or experience with it. I just remember that this movie was at some point in my childhood a a, a decent part of my life. But I never was one who was like, and maybe my parents will tell me I'm wrong. But I was never one who was, like, really scared of monsters under my bed or in the closet or anything. So this wasn't, like, a, you know, a huge movie for me in that sense. Yeah, it wasn't the feel-good movie that it was for a lot of people. And this movie, for me, wasn't... I honestly don't think I watched it probably till like, 2007, 2008, when I was, you know, later in high school. It just wasn't one of the Pixar movies and... As a kid, I just moved away from cartoons earlier than probably most kids did. So I guess from now on, I'm not going to have a whole ton of experience with these Pixar movies. But this one, in my lack of experience, this one is kind of towards the higher end of that in that I haven't seen it often. This is maybe my second or third time. Maybe my third, I think my second. So I do think in my cultural memory, I think of this as more of a classic than probably is Mm. if that makes sense i like in my memory it's it's bigger in your mind than it is in the mind of general culture well i also mean re-watching it i was like this doesn't feel like a classic like it's good but but it doesn't like like toy story 2 feels like a classic i mean Mm. i guess so does toy story 1 but this kind of was just like oh that was fun you know like it, it felt like if it came out today, I would really like it, but I wouldn't put it in this pantheon that it probably is in because of how early it came out in the run. Mm-hmm. But for those who don't remember, essentially, the the plot of this one actually is really simple. I think I can pretty much recount it to you in, oh, how many sentences do you think I should try to do it in? Twelve. <laughs> okay, that's a lot. <laughs> I don't want to have oh, to count I didn't, that high. I didn't know you were just going to go, boy meets girl. Boy no, I, I was girl. trying to. I was trying to see if you could make it a challenge for me. Oh, then absolutely four sentences. Four sentences. Okay, monsters. Am I allowed to use end, the word end? <laughs> uh, I guess not, no, right? <laughs> not as a conjoining conjunction. Monsters scare kids to power their city. Kid escapes through door and contaminates monster city. Hero monsters help return child to human world despite interference of evil monsters. Ah, three sentences. <laughs> oh, man. That about covers it, right? Yeah. 
I mean, it misses all the gushy details, but if, you, if you're looking for a simple plot overview, you nailed it. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you, it just gets more specific from there, right? Like, Sully is, like, this great hero of a factory worker. I, what would you even equate them to? Like, if in the human world, what job would they be doing? <laughs> like, football players? Like, firemen? Like, what are, what are they doing exactly? They're... I mean, on the face value, they're power plant workers. People <laughs> who, who get like a, a hero's welcome every morning. People are like cheering. They're walking in in slow motion. They're, I mean, they're talking about the energy crisis. Pixar was ahead of the time. They knew they had to get, what did they say? Clean, renewable energy in their little promo <laughs> ad in this video. They were, they were 10 steps past America at that point. And frankly, I feel like we haven't even tried to harness energy out of all the fear that's running through our country right now you know let's just take advantage of it <laughs> can we okay. make it positive <laughs> i'm trying laughter gives 10 times the power of fear so i've been doing a lot of that lately <laughs> yeah we can talk about that message at the end but um but yeah you know sully's like this hero guy and mike is his kind of gullible very easy to please sidekick mm-hmm. and uh there's the one guy who wants to beat him and I'm still not really sure what the motivations of the evil overlord of the company are other than being an evil overlord of a company. And, uh, you know, kid escapes and then the rest of the movie is sort of just like an action movie of like, how can we get, what, what's that movie where Denzel has the little girl and he's trying to bring her back home and people are trying to like assassinate him the whole time. Is it Man on Fire? Is yes. I'm thinking of? Cause Man on, is it Man on Fire too? No. The, uh, I don't know, Denzel's new movie that was like Man on Fire. The Equalizer 2. <laughs> yeah, Equalizer 2 is coming out. Equalizer 2 has come out, is what you mean to say. You know, I don't have TV, so I don't get to see previews of anything. But Man of Man on Fire is, is what this reminds me of, like a kid's version of that, because they're just like carrying this cute girl around trying to bring her home. And uh, there's not really much more to it than that, other than the evil villains throwing themselves into the way a few times. What what stood out to you watching this movie again, and I guess what felt like the first time for you? Like, just what did you uh, take away from it entertainment-wise? Entertainment-wise, I thought it was a fun movie. And they had, I mean, they had great voice actors. So I felt like I... This one, I felt like I was in the movie rather than watching a movie because you're so engrossed in this monster world, this kind of fantasy area where the previous Pixar films have all taken place, you know, on Earth in the real normal world. So this one, it really did a good job of making you feel like, oh, no, there Ah, is another place out there. (laughs) In the real normal world where where ants and and uh, I keep wanting to say cockroaches, grasshoppers. Where ants and grasshoppers talk and there's circus ants and where toys have full lives outside of the vision of their humans. This is, in fact, the first unrealistic Pixar movie. <laughs> yeah, in a sense, it's the, it's the only one that doesn't take place kind of on Earth. You can't tell me as a kid you never looked at an anthill and thought, man, they must be talking to each other. I definitely th- knew that anthills were apparently awesome and... They had like a million little worlds inside of them. I've always wanted to live in an anthill. <laughs> Is that so? <laughs> Is that weird? Like as an ant, not as a human. That's just <laughs> <sounds> painful. 
<sighs> I guess it's weird. I don't. I mean, I don't know. How, I don't know how to respond to that. Like, what made you want to live in an anthill? I think growing up and seeing movies like Ants in a Bug's Life, and then <laughs> like when oh, I was life seems up, good there. <laughs> like we also had like ant farms. I don't even know if those are like popular now, but they were super popular when I was a kid, and every kid wanted to have the ant farm where it's like the clear glass and you just put dirt in it and you get to see their tunnels uh, i don't know yes ants were fascinating in the 90s ants we had were these, fascinating in the 90s that's the new name of our podcast dangs, these dang cell phones all right i'm getting off off topic bring us back since we're talking about ants <laughs> you're transitioning <laughs> to our next topic since we're talking about ants, you know who reminded me of one of my aunts? <laughs> I could I live in the south. I could get away with just saying ants. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The character Roz, I think is <laughs> kind of a wonder and I couldn't help but thinking watching this movie in 2018 that if Monsters Inc came out today, Roz would be memed to hell and back. Like, because <laughs> essentially she was a meme when I was in school because my main memory of this movie is like kids at school quoting to each other the I'm watching you Wazowski, always watching you. I'm watching you Wazowski, always watching. <laughs> and like... I can't I can't imagine what that would have been like on like Twitter today, you know? Oh, that would have we would have had a heyday with that. I think the most memorable kind of line for me was the 2319. I don't I mean, I can kind of speak to that because we used to play volleyball a lot and anytime the score was 23 to 19, everybody had a freak out. So, <laughs> for me, that's, that's the hilarious. line. That's the line that kind of sticks out is we got a 23-19, and then they shave the dude and his- I love that because it like is a really subtle, brilliant contrast to Sully and Mike's relationship because mm-hmm. the line that can sneak by you, I think, if you're not paying attention is Mike walks up to that guy who throws his partner under the bus when he sees the sock on his back. Yeah. And he says, oh, so-and-so, we're having a pretty good day. The guy's like, yeah, me and blah, blah, blah are, are just killing it. Our relationship's better than ever. We're best friends or something to that effect. And then as soon as he sees the sock, he's like, 2319. And the guy <laughs> just gets attacked. And uh, really, the disposal scene of the sock is one of the best things they've done bar none in any of the movies we've watched so far because it's like such a perfect way to do a comedic bit of like just beating it into the ground and then as soon as you think it's over just keep going and (laughs) not only that they do the old rule of threes where it comes back a second time for him to get attacked and then the third time he's like no (laughs) and he just (laughs) like covers the guy's mouth or whatever yeah no he chokes him he picks him up puts him in a throat choke hold it's like, no, not anymore. And they're all wearing the, the dog cones because they're, like, contaminated. The cone <laughs> of shame. Or, like, when Mike's girlfriend, who he arguably sexually assaults in this movie, has, like, <laughs> cones around her little snakes in her hair. Is she, is she supposed to be Medusa? Like, I kept thinking someone's going to look her in the eyes and turn to stone, but that never happened. I, I mean, I think she was just... 
Just a monster. <laughs> a lovable monster. I like frankly in this film. did not remember there being a romantic aspect to this movie at all. Like when her and Mike were talking at the beginning, I was like, "Is what? I don't remember this. Is this in this movie? Like it definitely is <laughs> a little awkward when he grabs her and starts kissing her just to get her to shut up. I was like, oh, that, that would not fly <laughs> in a movie now. <laughs> Which frankly, I guess it's... Uh, I guess it's surprising. I don't know if this is something you give something credit for or not, but really in these four movies, there's not that much that has aged really poorly other than uh, (laughs) the prospector stuff we talked about in the last episode where he feels the need to make a joke about the Barbie dolls, like doing it with him in his little box. (laughs) Um, But mostly these movies are are still pretty kid-friendly, I think. Yeah, I think this one especially, I... The last two, I think, of Bugs Life and Toy Story 2, we kind of talked about the adult kind of themes and jokes and things that parents could appreciate if they had to take their kids or whatever. This one didn't feel like it had much of that. This one was more just a straight-up kids' movie, which hasn't been the direction Pixar has been going. So that was really shocking to me to watch it and think there's not really a whole lot here that I find appealing or kind of subtly humorous yeah there were a couple things that i'll I'll point out a little later that i thought were like subtle jokes but i don't think they were adult jokes i think it's kind of just hard to make a lot of adult jokes when a kid is in like 60 percent of the scenes yeah i guess and and her main thing is just to be cute they're the closest they get to darkness i suppose is when sully thinks that boo got crushed into a little garbage cube <laughs> like yeah i mean uh it, that's sort of there but but you know she's fine the entire time so I yeah don't and even that was like tinted in comedy because sullivan the whole time is like watching it and he faints and then he wakes back up and he faints and he falls and he's making goofy faces so even though we know she's safe it they definitely painted what could have been a very dark scene to be funny not to be there was never a low point in this film i feel like i was never i was never brought to sadness speaking of low point though i did think there was a part where someone shat themselves maybe i'm misremembering it but when they're all hiding in the stall from uh what's his name specter uh, randall randall <laughs> specter <laughs> randall specter obviously they're all hiding in that stall and he slams open that last door, doesn't see them and then walks out and then you hear a plop and I couldn't figure out if it was because Mike fell into the toilet or because Mike pooped himself. <laughs> no, it was because Mike fell into the toilet because in the very next scene, he's walking away with a wet foot and toilet paper. Clings oh, okay. Foot. I missed that somehow. <laughs> I guess I was too busy writing down, oh my God, did someone just poop themselves? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of poop, uh, I did think it was funny that the names of the deodorants Sully had in his locker, according to what I picked up, were Smelly Garbage, Wet Dumpster, Low Tide, and Wet Dog. <laughs> I don't... I feel like those are a little redundant, but good good deodorant flavors. Flavors like you're tasting it. <laughs> Actually, if you go in a middle school locker room, you are tasting it, literally. We all grew up that's, in the Axe Well, era. that's called Axe Body Spray. <laughs> Ugh, God. Actually, yeah. You just brought... I just got transported back to a middle school (laughs) locker room. The boss man. Mr. Waternoose. 
Mr. Waternoose, was that his name? It was. <laughs> uh, he drinks sludge instead of coffee. That was pretty gross. I, I did wonder what a monster truck rally was uh-huh. <laughs> in a monster world, and they didn't get to explain that, so I guess our imagination is left to, to wander. And since they're all monsters, I, I guess they're just normal trucks. <laughs> yeah, I immediately went to like, oh, monster truck rally. Oh, monster truck rally. It's like people in F-150s riding around doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so boring. Yeah, unfortunately, Mike's date didn't make it that far. And uh, really, Mike's date didn't make it far into the movie as, as, as a character, I guess. Yeah. I, I am interested in what you think of the characters who made it all the way through the movie, which is Boo somehow, <laughs> even though they could have returned her several times. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, randall and water noose and all that and i guess just to nitpick the thing i'm most curious about is whether as an adult the maneuvering they have to do to keep boo with them is distracting to you um i don't think it was distracting i'm assuming you're talking about like having to keep her in disguise and well i'm just talking about the fact that sully doesn't return her in like multiple chances and then there's a couple times where he actively is like i could return her now but i'm too connected to her and i i just wasn't sure whether there was enough there to like make us feel that connected to her other than her just being cute Mm. i just was curious whether you felt like that was distracting in any way it wasn't distracting from the movie because i think that was key because they needed to create this character that you absolutely loved with no dialogue and not kind of big emotional range all you see from her is fear and kind of joyous you know the giddy and excitement that a child has for i I actually did have a little bit of an issue with her lack of fear by the way I, i thought for randall being her monster and the premise being that she was scared of randall she was not very scared of randall the multiple times that they had near face to face interactions with him she she ran and hid, but I think that was part of the thing. You you remember the scenes where Sully and Boo are together, and he's sitting here and you know sh- sh- shushing her. I think that just kind of built the connection that they had, which in turn showed why he didn't want to return her immediately. He didn't want her just to get taken by Randall again, which you know it turns out that was Randall's entire plan when he steals right. Mike. So. What was his plan? The plan the plan was exactly what Mr. Waternoose explained at the end and what got him caught is they were not meeting the quota that they needed for power. They were going to have rolling blackouts. They said that in the newspaper in the beginning. It was on the front cover if you read it. And he said, no, that's not going to happen. I care too much for the monster world, so I'm going to start stealing children and sucking all the fear out of them. We scare because we care. Yep. Okay, I was a little unclear on what his ultimate goal was. So his goal was to abduct children and just keep them? Yes. I'm pretty sure he said kidnap, so I'm assuming he wasn't going to return them. And yeah, that was my other question watching this movie was like, how long has Boo been gone for? And do her parents think she's dead or or at least kidnapped? Because Thank you. Surely this didn't happen in one night <laughs> and like her parents just didn't notice she was gone. I thought that was <laughs> like probably not a rabbit hole worth going down because if they introduce that plot 
it's just going to be cheesy and and kind of distracting to have parents basically like imagine having like several scenes during the movie where they're just like where's our daughter and then like at the end she's just back like it would be stupid but at the same time it makes you wonder it i mean the only thing i came up with because i also thought about that was time is just a little bit faster in the monster world because realistically that only takes place from what six o'clock quitting time until the middle of the afternoon the next day so well when you're in the dream you don't realize you're in the dream at the time it's only when you wake up that you realize something was off (laughs) something like that so yeah i actually had the exact same question (laughs) should i do it like he does in shutter island like it's only when you wake up that you realize something is off Oh, speaking, I, I almost just went into Batman voice, which maybe, I saw that. which reminded me of uh, the Dark Knight Rises shit that happens in this movie. <laughs> when you remember in Dark Knight Rises, I missed it. You remember in Dark Knight Rises when uh, Batman breaks his back and then he f- he fixes his back by just having it popped back into place. Forget that. So he climbs yeah. back up the thing, and the really cool music plays, and he gets out, and he's standing, and then. Next thing you know, he's walking up to Anne Hathaway in Gotham, and they don't explain how he got around the world, and it, it, it's kind of just glossed over. I felt like that exact thing happened with Mike in this movie, because they show Sully go all the way down uh, on the three-day journey that takes him about 20 seconds to get down the mountain, <laughs> and then... He goes into one of the houses and, and gets back into the monster world. And then Mike just kind of shows back up in the monster world. And are, I guess you're to assume he does a similar thing. But I don't know. But but even then, <laughs> this leads to my other problem at the end where they're like, we got rid of Randall and we never have to worry about him again. But it's kind of like, wait a second. You guys had such an easy time getting back from banishment. Like the abominable snowman is trapped there. <laughs> and you guys got back in like five minutes, but they're also like, oh no, Randall will never come back. Randall might not be as uh, sly as them, which doesn't make sense. I don't He's know. very this sly. Is, <laughs> if, we, if we nitpick this movie too much, which I feel like we're getting on the cusp of and the verge of doing, it loses all its Pixar magic. <laughs> well, that's sort of my larger point in nitpicking, though, is I think this movie falls apart a little more yeah. than the other ones do. When you think about it, because like I said, it's more of a romp and an action movie and less, it doesn't hold up as well when you think about it. Also, you know, if I want to just not be objective about it, I I didn't appreciate them talking crap about Florida, you know, there just had to be like a stereotypical, like Randall winds up in a, in a trailer and the guy's like, oh, a gator got in the house again, ma. And they like hit him with a shovel. And I'm like, that doesn't happen here. Oh, dude. You know what I just connected? That was the same one from A Bug's Life, obviously. That was oh, the, the trailer. Yeah, yeah. But the Pizza Planet truck is there, meaning Toy Story also takes place in Florida. Oh, they won me back. Oh, baby. Full circle. Unless we're to assume Pizza Planet is worldwide in Pixar World. That's true. Chuck E. Cheese is, I mean, Pizza Planet is all across America. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The other thing that I think doesn't hold up, (laughs) or at least is kind of like a twist that doesn't make sense, is Roz being an undercover agent. Like, why? (laughs) Like, 
And it's not really a movie that lends itself to you going back and being like, oh, yeah, she is an undercover agent. It truly is just something that comes out of nowhere. (laughs) But whatever. Yeah. I mean, also, I'm not sure what her undercover operation was. (laughs) Like, did she know what was happening? I was even more unclear on her undercover operation than I was the evil plan. Yeah, that's what's so bad about it. Is she literally has to explain it away in one line when she's like, two years I've been trying to catch the people stealing children. Or what I can't remember what exact line was, but she knew something fishy was going on with Waternoose and Randall, but was she actively searching for evidence or just sitting there giving people a hard time? <laughs> Waternoose is also the most obvious villain (laughs) like from the beginning like he's Uh basically dressed like a vampire and he's got eight legs and he just kind of looks evil but they sort of play it as a twist but i i'm you know i i did like this movie and i love the ending of it which we'll talk about when we get into the categories here and like i love that it ends with mike doing stand-up i wish they gave mike a little more credit intelligence wise like i i don't love the running joke about him being covered up on things and him thinking it's awesome. Like, I feel like that's <laughs> kind of sad. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was, I thought that was a good bit of comedy because his entire role is just slapstick. You know, he has to get hurt. He has to think highly of himself when he's like the nobody next to Sully. I, he, he had a lovable character in the sense that you kind of pitied him, not that you actually loved him. <laughs> so, yeah, I I don't know. I got I got past the point of he tried stand up and then he made the little kid laugh. I was really trying to imagine um how that scenario could end up well for children. Like one, imagine a parent walks into a child's bedroom and sees a monster doing stand up. <laughs> I I don't know how do you react to that other than shutting the door, turning around, and jumping out of the window baseball the, bat the <laughs> but uh, if the monster leaves and you walk in and your kid is laughing like a like a like a like a maniac then it's probably not going to end well for the kid in that scenario either because every night your kid's just <laughs> laughing <laughs> and you're like well gotta check him into an institution <laughs> yeah you just gotta assume that like me he'll randomly think of Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> delivering terribly like I knew we lines. shouldn't have shown our kids Shutter Island because <laughs> he's not scared of it don't think he's scared of it that's not the message of this movie no he just he just is cracking up thinking about <laughs> my only other question from this movie I think is if a kid doesn't get scared does that mean they have outgrown being scared and that's why the doors become dead doors or does it just mean they're not scary enough because I because they kind of go crazy with the dead door thing um, I feel like that was the point they were getting across because a few times Water News said kids just don't get scared anymore. And then there was one point where he said the window of scaring is shrinking because of technology moving the kids forward and they don't stay young as long as they used to kind of a deal. So it's pretty prescient, actually. Yeah, it was actually we're so desensitized. It is absolutely true. And it's um, it almost felt like the one stance that pixar was taking against technology sort of or against the rapid maturation that our children have to go through where kindergartners aren't allowed to be scared of monsters in the closet anymore and let kids be scared 
I think so. Although I can't say I was ever scared of monsters. I was just scared of what if someone's in my house and about to kill me. Did you? Were you scared of monsters or were you scared of like real things? Uh, I get more scared by images. Mm-hmm. Like I watched that movie Hereditary recently and there's an image where the mom character is crawling like a spider on the roof of her house and like stuff like that scares me more because yeah. I can picture it. And like I always remember when I first watched Inception, there's a scene where his dead wife like turns and the sound design does this thing that's like glass shattering right as she turns and gives this death stare. And like that moment always scared me. It's like I've always been more bothered by stuff like that either that or you know what is death well are you talking about first death second death or third death (laughs) we'll talk about that a little later (laughs) (laughs) yeah i actually think a lot of this movie holds up thematically very well today i think it's some of it is worth watching today yeah and we'll get to that in just a second i think we should get into the categories what do you think let's do it all right real quick here were some of my favorite throwaway jokes on the commercial or somewhere at the beginning, they say, there's nothing more deadly or toxic than a human child. True that. <laughs> Scary monsters don't have plaque. That's something Mike yells at him while he's brushing his teeth. On the newspaper, it said, baby born with five heads. Parents thrilled. <laughs> I did like that one. And then, oh, I liked that they explained away what, why the abominable snowman Loch Ness monster bigfoot and etc all exist by just saying that they were banished from the monster world <laughs> yeah that's smart oh as far as movie references too i loved the what i think was a shawshank redemption call out with the uh digging with spoons <laughs> uh, you know i didn't think about it when it came but now that you mention it like absolutely makes sense and then I liked the Lion King call out visually when Randall's trying to knock Sully off of the door. That felt like they were kind of cribbing Lion King a little bit. Oh, when he's got his claws looking, digging up yeah, the yeah. door frame. <laughs> yep. All right. So Monsters, Inc. The budget for Monsters, Inc. was $115 million, which is about $163 today dollars. $163 million today dollars. Uh, it made 577 worldwide and... That's about 820 million worldwide. And I meant to do this. I've been meaning to do this during the episode. Sometimes I don't. Similar movies from 2018 that have made more than $820 million. There's only four of them. Incredibles 2, Jurassic World, Black Panther, Infinity War. So this movie would be doing very well if it came out today. More than Deadpool, more than Ready Player One, more than Ant-Man. Hold on. Did you just list four Disney movies? Jurassic World's not Disney, right? Jurassic World is a Universal Studios production. But the other three were Disney. Yes, because Marvel is owned by Disney, I believe. They are. In in the big picture. And obviously Incredibles 2 is going to be our last episode of this podcast, uh, at least before Toy Story 4. Last episode of this season, I should say. Anyway, so this movie came in overall eighth in pixar movies which is worth 12 points uh because you get one point for being the worst and so on so this one is the 12th worst essentially the number one movie will get 20 these standings might adjust just a little bit if i can clarify these box office numbers but 12 is the highest so far um toy story 2 was about 11th bug's life was the third lowest toy story was the sixth lowest so 
A lot of information. Critical score. This movie has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Good for 9.6, which is higher than Bugs Life, lower than the two Toy Stories. Let's talk about the concept tie. I already said I liked this concept of there being another world through your door at night. I thought that it was creative. Also, that I think the basic concept, too, of like scaring kids is what powers the monster world i think is pretty clever yeah it was creative and is well done which is interesting how i'm going to do my ranking but i think conceptually it was really high because they created a whole world that kind of made sense so i'm going to give it a i'm going to give it an eight yeah i think you could argue about the execution which we have a little bit but when it comes to the concept itself and like the overarching details of the story. I think this is pretty brilliant. I think this is easily the most clever of the four that we've watched so far. Mm. And since the highest I've given so far is an eight, I got to go above that. I'm just going to say, I think I'm going to say like nine for this one. Ooh, that boosts monster inks, monsters, inks. (laughs) How do you, how do you pluralize that or, or possessivize that monsters, inks, Inc. It it boosts its concept score above every other movie so far with 17. Uh, Toy Story and Bugs Life each had 16, and Toy Story 2 had 14.5. What about the animation in this one, Ty? How do you feel on scale of 1 to 10? The animation in this one was really, really good, and the fact you came up with earlier about each frame of Sully taking about 11 hours to render due to his 2.3 million different hair follicles is just incredible so i i think it's gonna have to be my highest animation that still holds up because even today like rendering this the hair and all the movement and the wrinkles everything you gave toy story one a five bugs life and toy story two an eight so what do you say for this one i'm gonna have to go like 9.5 oh wow this one is really high on my list. It looked it looked really good animation wise. <laughs> I don't know if you just watched this one on a different service than the other three, but I thought that this was worse than the movie before it. I, I think to me it looks like they put all of their effort into Sully and then nowhere else. Okay, <laughs> because I thought everything else looked not as interesting as the movies before it, mm-hmm. but but Sully looks amazing so i guess i have to like split the difference i'd probably say like 7.5 for me personally okay not that any of these movies have really terrible animation i don't know that our score is ever going to be that low for that but Mm. anyway that even with that that gives this one the highest animation score actually of any of the any of the movies so far one point above bug's life and toy story 2 and four points above toy story which means it's off to a hot start Let's see what happens. Pixar score. Pixar score is where it will tank for me a bit. Um, I don't think a cute kid gets me very far as far as wanting to cry, which is what this category is if you're not familiar, Mm -hmm. since that's what Pixar wants us to do. Pixar, it's just a conspiracy. They just want us all to cry. That's all they (laughs) really want. I think the closest I get to emotion in this movie is actually, and I mentioned this when we were talking before, that like the relationship between Mike and Sully is secretly what's interesting about this movie. When you see Mike's hands all cut up because he remade that door for Sully, that's about as emotional as I get. Uh, I still would say this one's about a 0.5 for me. 
Okay, I'm I'm glad we feel the same way about this movie. I think for me, the most emotional part of this movie was right after Sully scares Boo, and then Boo is terrified and hides in a corner, and you can't help but feel for that. But overall, and I think this is also going to play into my rewatchability category. But I w- I would give this like a one. It wasn't very emotionally captivating. Yeah, I mean, I've said this a million times already, but I just think this movie scoots along on being fun and cute more than the other ones have so far. Mm. It's kind of like another franchise that Disney owns that pumps out movies year after year after year. I don't know what you're talking about. Two of the highest grossing films of this year were... Oh, Despicable Me 1 and Despicable Me 2? No, Infinity War and Black Panther. Yeah, and I knew what you were talking about. But that's just my feelings. As far as theme and adult ideas, uh, so far, Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 1 had pretty high scores. Bugs Life had a middling score, thanks to you. (laughs) Uh, I think, actually, you could argue again, as I mentioned during the concept, whether it was well executed, but the themes and ideas in this movie are really awesome and interesting. And, like, thinking about today this idea that laughter is more powerful than screaming like this is <laughs> this basic idea that that positivity and 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 joy is more powerful than fear is such a simple like we were talking about <laughs> these basic truisms that you're kind of surprised people need to hear but it's something like this there where it's like conveyed in a really clever simple way and it just kind of makes you think like why are we all fighting so much all the time you know yeah, but I don't think that that was the main theme of this movie because it was so clouded by fluff and by the relationship. I suppose you could make an argument that Sully and Boo's relationship kind of mimics that of a parent and their child where you you care about them and you don't want to see them hurt and you don't want to see them scared. So you do everything you can to protect them. And I think that theme stands out more for me. Well, the other theme that stuck out to me is this idea that monsters are just as scared of kids as kids are scared of humans. I think Mm -hmm. that's something that's kind of transferable to like, you know, whatever you're afraid of is probably not as scary as you think it is. Yeah. But to your point, actually, my, my main note under the theme section of my notes was far and few between, but potent. Like, I think... There definitely are large portions of this movie where you're not thinking about anything. <laughs> yeah. Because it doesn't give you anything to think about, you know, where Toy Story kind of just throws themes at you the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, this is sort of a balancing act. These ideas they have are great, but are they implemented effectively enough? I, I don't know where I would fall on this. Yeah, I think for me, I'm just because this movie... Like I alluded to, it felt like a Marvel movie, like a cash grab kind of movie. And I don't like that. So it's kind of be a lower <laughs> score as far as this theme goes. Where I I think the two themes we pointed out are poignant and good, but I don't think they allowed that to be the thread that kept this movie together. So that's kind of going to give it a low score for me. I'm going to give it like a four. Like I really didn't yeah. think that the theme was the point. I think that's maybe why this movie feels a little bit more slight mm-hmm. than the others. So even though I really like them, I think they're not quite executed as perfectly as some of their other movies are. So yeah, I, I'd actually probably 
agree with you generally. I, I'd say like four, four point five. Mm-hmm. That gives us eight point five. Definitely the lowest of that category so far. And then the big category that's been pretty much dead even with the first three films: rewatchability. And I, I think I know where you're going here, but but where do you feel like this falls on the rewatchability scale? Yeah, I watched this, like I said, for the second, maybe third time. I'm pretty sure it was my second. And I don't think... It's not one that I'm like, oh, I'm going to want my kids to watch this movie. You know, there's other Pixar movies that I'm going to... You know, like, I'm going to want them Unless to watch. Unless your kids are really Toy scared Story of monsters. And to, and like, yeah, then I'll just be like, guys, trust me, monsters aren't scary. Watch this DVD if they still have DVDs out there. I don't know what we're going to be watching on when I have kids. But, uh, yeah, this this movie... Are <laughs> you watching on your arm? <laughs> probably. Or you just close your eyes and it's playing in your head. <laughs> you are the movie. Yeah, you but put on just, your, your VR goggles and you just live the movie. Gosh. This movie does not rate high in rewatchability for me. And like I said, this we're starting to get to movies that weren't congruent with the path that my life took where I stopped watching cartoons and kids movies unless they were great, unless they were something like uh, Incredibles, which is going to, spoiler alert, probably be really high in my ratings. <laughs> but this movie wasn't on that level and it wasn't on the Toy Story and it wasn't really even on the A Bug's Life level for me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it like a one. Rewatchability. A one? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't have any desire to watch this and it doesn't make me to watch want to watch monsters college what's it called monsters university (laughs) (laughs) clearly i've not seen it wow yeah that's that's low what's tough about these for me is like i'm trying to do scale one to ten like i'm not pitting it against other movies you know i'm trying to take it on its own which is it's hard not to think about the other ones in this in this sense but Mm -hmm. i do think this one's definitely lower because i feel like it's something i would put on in the background (laughs) like i I feel like there's like we were just saying there's not enough there for me to like pay attention to it for it is very short so i maybe you could you know it's only an hour and a half but it's still lower i think there's enough gags and interesting things that happen to make it pretty watchable but i think for me i'd probably say mm, 3.5 yeah it's just i don't know and i like I said, I'm biased and it's hard for me not to pit it against other movies because if I rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, all I'm thinking about, well, here's a movie I've watched 20 times and then here's a movie I've watched one time and don't want to watch it anymore. <laughs> and this is a lot closer to that movie that I don't want to ever watch again than it is to, you know, that peak, that pinnacle up there. So To, to its credit, though, I think um, what's crazy about Pixar is it's still pretty dang good movie i mean it's 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 not a bad movie by any stretch but as i add up our numbers here box office score critical score concept animation pixar score theme rewatchability it comes in just under the wire at 70.1 which is 0.6 lower than our score for bugs life making monsters inc our lowest seed to this point I just have to say I saw that coming <laughs> in the group of movies we watched so far and just my implicit bias that I bring into this movie from it not playing any sort of role in my growing up. Still separated only by 0. 0.6. That's pretty, pretty tight. Mm-hmm. That was surprising. 
as a recap, our current seeding is Toy Story 2 as the one seed, Toy Story as the two seed, Bugs Life as the three seed, and Monsters, Inc. as the four. Mm. So there you have it, Ty. Another cartoon, as you call it, <laughs> in the books. <laughs> and next time, next time, I think I'm going to put a few cards on the table here and say, next time we're getting into a true classic. 2003's Finding Nemo. Yeah, Finding Nemo, a good one. Lots of themes. I feel like that one is going to be really good when we talk about the theme category. I have, I already, ha- having not watched it again yet, have a lot to say about it. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this next one. I think, I, th- I think it's going to be a, a really good episode. So go, go watch Finding Nemo. Find it wherever movies are sold. Um, blockbuster, uh, Netflix by mail, wh- whatever works. <laughs> and uh, come back next time on on this podcast where we go from uh, <laughs> from Toy Story to Incredibles and beyond. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Sorry I was sticking the mud with this movie, but if you loved it, please tell me why you loved it in a rating. Oh yeah, section. tell Ty why he's wrong because he was the only one nitpicking this whole time. Thank you all for listening. Come back next time. On the island. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have. I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have. I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have you. You. <laughs> ah, we tried. <laughs> All right, goodbye. All right, Ty, there you have it. Monsters, Inc. comes in as our lowest-ranked movie so far. You think people are going to be surprised? I think some people might because, like, this was my little brother's movie, if that makes sense. Like, the year it came out, I just remember he had a ton of friends that loved this movie, and I just didn't, maybe because I was a little bit older at the time. But I think this movie is right where it needs to be. We'll see where it winds up as the episodes go on next week. As we talked about a little bit at the end, Finding Nemo. Definitely one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, Finding Nemo is a good one. That is a, I think it might be one of the Pixar classics. I'm not sure. We'll have to Maybe. find out the numbers. But Maybe. We shall see. I like to read reviews at the end of the episodes, but none of you have come through for us this week. No, no, no new reviews. Where you at? Where you at, dog? Where you at, people? We're ready. We're waiting to hear how I could get better English. And how I can get better music. So come back next time to see if we can do either <laughs> on Natural Selection. All right, that's it. That's it. That's all we got. That's all we got for the day. We'll see you next time. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2019. Bye. Bye.